Welcome to Streamed and Screened, a podcast about movies and TV shows and, and streaming TV shows and things like that from Lee Enterprises. We're here every week uh, hosted by Bruce Miller, an entertainment reporter for many, many years and now the current editor of the Sioux City Journal. We also have Jared McNett, who is a reporter for the Sioux City Journal, a big time movie nerd. Howdy, y'all. And we have me, Chris Lay, the podcast operations manager for Lee Enterprises and also a former journalist, media correspondent, such and such, uh, all lowercase letters, italics, air quotes on that end. But so hello, Bruce. How are we? So did everybody see Vengeance? Yes. Thumbs up, thumbs down. What, what do you think? Do we want to just uh, hop right in then, Chris? Mm-hmm. All right. I was thumbing it up last week, so I'm still in that camp. Jared's got got the wiggly thumbs. You didn't, Jared. What's other. wrong with you? What's wrong <laughs> with you? I think an overarching thing for me, there are a couple points of contention. One major one, I think, for me was I, I understand that he wrote it and directed it and is the reason the movie even exists, but that doesn't necessarily mean you should be the lead in this movie. And that kind of came through even in the first scene where he's riffing with John Mayer. 100%. 100%. John Mayer blows him out of the water in that. And like, that shouldn't be happening if you're the lead. Like, obviously, you can, you know, play the straight man or whatever, but like, uh, a guy that's a musician shouldn't be blowing you out of the water in terms of riffing in the opening scene of your feature debut as this like triple threat. If your acting is getting upstaged by the guy who fills in for Jerry Garcia on the Grateful Dead tours these days, then maybe it's not <laughs> working out. I think the other thing is that I, I definitely understood what the movie was going for in terms of like somewhat lampooning this idea of like New Yorker type guy doesn't think there's anything to be learned from these, you know, backward southern folks or whatever and then you know learns you know that oh they you know there's they've they've got their own lives too and they've got all these important things that they have to reckon with but then it just felt like it kind of fell into some of those same cliches of that particular story that we've seen before of like oh my god you guys are you are just like us you don't have a subway you know but you you guys are still just like us in a whole bunch of other ways. And I don't really know that it elevated that kind of story very much. I think it just kind of fell into some of the same kind of cliches. I had kind of the same vibe where I think the script was good. Yeah. There was some great writing that came through. Absolutely. And the ideas, especially like all the stuff at the end, the last third is full of a lot of really interesting twists. One of them, which I don't think worked. Sure. And for a film where there's so much of these kind of digressions and asides about how stories are structured specifically in podcasts. And like, that's the, you know, developing arcs and identifying tones and through lines and characters and things like that. There, there was a little bit of a, just not quite sticking the landing up, but it was, it's not so much like a bad movie. I just wanted more. And I like the script. If he had stayed on as a producer, and been involved with, with picking a director and picking the cast just just wasn't quite all there for me. But but I'm, I'm, I'm certainly between the two of you. A couple of things I did like, I actually ended up enjoying Ashton Kutcher quite a bit as like this soulful weirdo. 
I thought that was really fun to have him playing this Texan record producer. He had uh, a good time with that with like his uh, cheesy mustache and like he's just spouting off these like witticisms and like these grand ideas about life and making music and everything like that, including a moment that was basically just like BJ Novak doing a riff on the walk the line scene where Sam Phillips is telling Johnny Cash, you know, if you were about to die or whatever and you had one song to like leave your mark on this world, like what would you record? Ashton Kutcher basically does a version of that monologue but it's like a little more like psychedelic, which was sort of fun. And then since it is set in like West Texas, I did appreciate some of the uh, cinematography that we got because it's gorgeous in West Texas. Although even with that, you know, you talked about wanting more, Chris. I would have loved even more shots of just, you know, big old West Texas uh, landscape because when you're in that kind of environment, you should show it off as much as possible, I think. You didn't appreciate the the scene where he picks up the handful of sand and does his uh, friskillating dusk light moment. Yes, yes. <laughs> I'm certainly intrigued to see where BJ Novak goes from here. Mm-hmm. I'll say that. Boyd Holbrook was good. I mean, he, he rounded out the cast with a lot of really talented people that just, I don't know if he gave them all a whole lot to do. I think it was worth it to have Boyd Holbrook in there just for, there's a moment, I guess maybe like a third of the way through, once like BJ Novak's kind of there in Texas and is like going to be living with this family for this period of time where Boyd Holbrook has to like correct himself and say that, I guess we have a guest room now. And that was by far like the best and most emotional part of the entire movie. I thought, because it was very understated, but incredibly uh, devastating. So, I mean, again, and that's really good writing and, and good acting in in Boyd Holbrook's case. I'm a hundred percent for it. (laughs) I loved it. From there, a smaller indie we can jump to a much larger feature film, Bullet Train, which has been dominating the trailers for the past six months, eight months, it feels like. Too long. Yeah. What does that mean? When you see too many trailers, it means the movie's going to be a dud. <laughs> Is that what you think? I have not seen it, and I think it might be a dud. Remember The Lost City? Enough said. That was one that I thought about a lot, actually when I was approaching this film and how to talk about it, it's one that no one's going to come away from this movie with a better understanding of emotions or life or existential grief or trauma or themselves or whatever. Like this isn't, you know, what that's doing. Effervescent. That's the adjective that I've been, you know, trying to think of very frothy, you know, it's assassins on a train, all one upping each other for this MacGuffin, plot device along the way and i don't know i mean it's got just a killer cast and it's directed by david leach who did uh, atomic blonde a movie that we're all pretty vocal about enjoying if only for the really amazing stunt work in that and i know david leach has also been working with some of the the stunt organizations that you know are doing the john wick movies and anyway love to see brad pitt wearing a bucket hat which is a great look for him but it is hard to just see the same trailer over and over again. Or like they even pushed this movie a lot during the NBA finals. Like for some reason there were these like promo clips of different players from the NBA talking with Brian Tyree Henry and Aaron Taylor Johnson's characters. And I'm like, I don't see the need to be doing these kind of promos necessarily. I I don't know why we, we need them. I mean, I like Brad Pitt and I'm always happy to see Brad Pitt and stuff. And I like Brian Tyree Henry and I'm always thrilled to see him in movies as well and then also you know 
a lot of fondness for Atomic Blonde still. Not the biggest fan of Deadpool 2, which uh, David Leach also did. Yeah, again, just the overexposure sometimes for me works against wanting to rush right out and see some of these. You know, the interesting thing with this is that you barely glimpse Sandra Bullock in the trailer. Yep. But when you saw Lost City, there was a lot of Brad Pitt. Oh, yeah. So is that the indication there that if you show too much of somebody, you got a dog on your hands, but you show a little bit, you might have something good. And I would think in Brad's favor, he produces a lot of quality stuff. Oh, yeah. So I don't know that he's going to just say, oh, I'll just do a crappy film because, hey, I need the paycheck and the kids are about ready for new shoes or anything like that. So I don't know that he would get tied up with this unless there was a real reason. Yeah. So I'm hopeful. This strikes me as the perfect, it's hot out. I want to go inside, <laughs> sit in a cool theater. I want air conditioning. Is that too much to ask? Bubbly soda pop and a bucket full of popcorn and watch a bunch of beautiful people do crazy things to each other. I mean, Brad Pitt, we've talked about. Brian Tyree Henry, who we've talked about. Zazie Beats is in this. Very beautiful people. And then also Michael Shannon. <laughs> he has his own charm. No, he does. He's one of my favorite actors. He's very high on my list of my favorite actors. Aaron Taylor Johnson, Bad Bunny. I mean, this is, this hits so many targets. Demographics. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, they've been flooding the zone. You'll know next week. We'll tell you. Another big movie that's coming out on Apple TV Plus called Luck. New animated movie directed by Peggy Holmes. This is the first in there's a big partnership between John Lasseter's Skydance company and Apple. John Lasseter, who was pushed out of Pixar five, six years ago for inappropriate conduct. What do you know about luck, Bruce? Well, I think we were a little too forgiving too quickly, weren't we? Except for cars, which you know I hate. He has a good track record. And so John Lasseter is probably not going to produce something that's going to be direct. So there's something there. And maybe he's open to things that Pixar wasn't. If you work at Disney, you kind of know how the character is going to look even before you start. And when Pixar would do a little kind of going off the beam, it was probably for a short subject. The short subjects that they did were the most creative things that Disney has produced. But that could be just a Disney thing. So we'll see where what his stamp is really on all of that. You know, he could have been just the guy who greenlit things at the studio. It'll tell us what um, his his tenure might be. But, I'm, you know, good luck. We'll see what happens. The unluckiest person in the world finds a lucky coin that gives them tremendous amounts of luck, and then they lose it, but then, then they have to go to the land of luck and uh, deal with the magical creatures in the land of luck. It sounds like Inside Out, doesn't it? Kind of, and the characters even kind of look like that, but we'll see, you know? I mean, the tagline for it almost doubles for statement on John Lasseter. The tagline is, sometimes all you need is for everything to go wrong. Oh, no. <laughs> August 5th, Apple TV Plus. We shall see voices of Simon Pegg, Jane Fonda, Whoopi Goldberg, Lil Rel Howery, John Ratzenberger. So he's using John Ratzenberger. 
Because he was the Pixar good luck charm. Yeah. How does that work? Does he, John Ratzenberger just have to go on loan? Or is he no longer part of Pixar? Maybe that's it. Blacklisted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> From luck, we can talk about Sandman. Sandman's been in the works for a very, very long time. Based on a DC Vertigo Comics run 70 or 80 issues, I think. One of the things that put Neil Gaiman on the map. First six episodes are going to be all about an hour long, I believe, and they're going to be hitting on Friday. We already talked about this a little bit last week. They're condensing the first two trade paperbacks. And I think that is a great way to go because we get right into the mix of the serial killers convention that is going to be in there. And, uh, and that's oh, yeah. yep. one of the characters from a nightmare that the Sandman character has created named the Corinthian who has teeth where his eyes should be. He's running amok in the real world. This is one of those Hall H things at Comic-Con where people are just, oh my God, you got to see, this is going to be great. And the rest of the world kind of goes, we don't care. You nerds go watch that over in Hall H and you're fine. I'm just telling you on the surface. As a comic book nerd, this is a series that I've read from beginning to end three or four times, I think. So and you think it'll adapt well? I think they're going to have to make a lot of very weird contortions to make it adapt well. Part of that is is the pleasure for me is seeing those decisions. And we talked about this again last week a little bit with adaptations. I don't care if, if they stumble on adapting something. I still have American Guides, the book. I still have the original you know, version of Cowboy Bebop. I've got the original uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen <laughs> things that have apparently been messed up. Do you think, though, it'll have it'll have much traction beyond people like you who are just, you know, taken with it? This is what has yet to be seen. I don't know how much of the conceptual elements are going to translate really well, because, I mean, there is no one-to-one for any of this that would actually work. If anything, I, I'd, I'd certainly hope that it makes people read the comic. It's a pretty big commitment, but very rewarding. You know, we've got a, we've got a whole generation of goth kids that are on the come up. So, In some form or fashion, this has been in development since 1991. So that tells you how difficult of a, a nut this has been to crack for a lot of different people. <laughs> and have you read it, Jared? I have not read it, so I only have like a cursory uh, understanding of the Sandman. Although the serial killers convention thing is something that I actually did have an awareness of. I don't even remember why I was familiar with that particular thing from the Sandman, but that's one that's lodged in my brain. There are things that happen in the first handful of issues that continue to resonate along the entire course of it. Plot threads that carry all the way out that have repercussions and consequences, you know, 50, 60 issues away. So it has the potential if they can get that level of complexity into the show, I think it could be really great. But what I'm more worried about is just, I don't want it to turn into this, like, you know, like you were saying, Bruce, a Hall H type thing, you know, a a comic con where it's just going to be a bunch of pointing out problems or you know, saying, well, this was it like the book. Right. Yeah, they need to find a way to make it attractive to people who have never heard of it. And maybe that's their problem is they were so busy trying to figure out how do we do this thing 
that they didn't realize they've got to somehow sell it after they've got it done. And I think the selling it is where it's falling short. Maybe one touchstone for this, because, you know, another iconic comic book work that was considered unadaptable for a very long time was The Watchmen. And, you know, that's been adapted two different times now, the Zack Snyder movie in 2009, which I actually enjoyed quite a bit, even though I'm not the biggest Zack Snyder fan. And then, the, you know, the HBO series uh, from a couple years ago. If this even turned out the way even like the Watchmen movie turned out, would you say that that's a success for this uh, Sandman adaptation? I think it's different levels of success. Like, I mean, the first Watchmen movie, the Zack Snyder one, I remember watching that coming out and saying that that was probably the best that someone could accomplish as far as adapting that into... Into coherence. (laughs) Yeah, into a film. It followed the plot relatively closely. I know that there are some, you know, small and large divergences that had to be made for a lot of different reasons, but a whole bunch of, of the book came in intact. And I think that was maybe part of the problem. It succeeded as making that book look like that on the big screen. Whereas the more recent HBO adaptation was way more interesting in the they took the bones of the book and just put all this really interesting new skin on it. It's a much more difficult task. And I don't necessarily think that this is what they're trying to do. It's maybe somewhere in between. A lot of the decisions that have been made that I know of so far are pointedly taking things in some different superficial directions. Really have yet to see how the how the effects are going to look and how how the plotting is going to work. But I will be there soon as it goes live plowing through it if it's one they even execute halfway decently it'll definitely be one of those that hangs out on like all-time like cult tv shows for just in perpetuity that much i, I definitely feel confident saying to stay in the the netflix wheelhouse another movie that comes out this friday called carter by jung byung gil it's a south korean filmmaker uh, it's going to be in Korean, but I'm sure it'll be dubbed for, for Netflix. But a guy waking up, doesn't have his memories, and turns into a, a hostage rescue situation. Watch the trailer. It looks like just the most crazy action. Squid Game cracked open the, the possibility of people giving Asian content, I guess. <laughs> you know, things with subtitles really spread out in a much larger uh, audience than I think anyone expected. They're trying to expand their base and they are looking, where else can we go? Asia looks available. Can you imagine them all at these film festivals where they're handing out business cards like crazy and buying drinks for people? (laughs) I can almost see it, right? And honestly, it is a smart idea to point people toward those markets, but doing it with like these genre-y endeavors, because I mean, the, the plot of that is, if I had to think about it for a second, Chris could think of like 10 movies with a maybe a little bit of a similar plot. You have a guy waking up, doesn't know what's going on. And then it's off on this like rescue mission or whatever. So it's smart to be like trying to expand people's horizons with stuff that they already know, but they just don't know what that looks like in a context of like East Asia, like squid game. There's, there's some threads of that that aren't wholly alien. It's just, you know, in a different part of the world than before. Do you ever just scroll through Netflix and look at those goofy kind of subheads they've got there for, (laughs) 
crazy people who dance on the table, you know, and it's thinking there are movies that fit this thing. What is this? Movies with the <laughs> most convincing heart attack scenes. And then I get kind of nervous because these are things we think you might like, but some poor intern somewhere at the Netflix office has to come up with how do we shuffle some of these films into different things? But not every one of those films has two helicopters flying directly at each other and then swooping around in the trailer. So no. I'm just saying this could be really awesome. Because you like Towering Inferno, you'll love this. <laughs> there really are some some fantastic Asian action movies that are on Netflix. Pay John Woo a bunch of money. You know, let's get him on the streaming platform if, if we're talking... Uh... These kinds of action movies. The Night Comes for Us was the the one that I was thinking of, mm. which is very like Ong Bak style. Jared, mm -hmm. do you know anything about They Them? I do not. And I actually do not have Peacock, although I might try to find a way to procure a, uh, a Peacock login to, to watch it because I am ready and willing to always watch anything uh horror related especially if it's even got a minute amount of uh buzz because i'm a bandwagoner like that bruce do you know anything about they them they are pronouns <laughs> that that is that is correct yes it is true it is a, a horror film uh directed by john logan it's going to be on peacock august 5th it's a horror film that takes place on a lgbtq plus conversion camp so it has kind of slasher element but it's also the perfect grounds to dig in on a lot of the identity politics in american culture and it stars kevin bacon who would give you even more six degrees of relationships and who quite famously was in the original friday the 13th right so you know he's he's been at uh horrifying camps before just as more of a historical perspective too, I, I do find it kind of interesting to be having a, a horror movie that's LGBTQ focused that is set at a camp because probably the most famous example of any like horror camp related movie that has anything to do at all, even with um, trans issues is sleepaway camp, which has a very unfortunate reveal in that movie uh, very unfortunate by uh today's standards the reveal in that movie of the killer and what's driving the killer to kill people doesn't hold up uh very well so i i do wonder if there's even a little bit of that in this movie in some way of like i don't know writing the only other big prominent trans related um horror thing we've seen or at least that a lot of people have seen john logan who's the director it's his first big feature as a director, but he's credited as a writer on some James Bond movies, Spectre, Skyfall, uh, Gladiator, Rango, <laughs> Any Given Sunday. I mean, he's someone who's been in Hollywood as a, a screenwriter for a long time. Not that that's any indication that <laughs> it'll be, you know, the most tasteful uh, approaching of that, but I have a hard time imagining that something would get made on this level with an actor like Kevin Bacon signing on that would possibly fire off any uh, alarm bells. We've got this. And then uh, next week we've got another horror or like thrillery kind of feature that also like very much the, the politics of it are pretty clear. And that's uh, bodies, 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 which I'm also excited to check out when that one drops too. Yeah. So they, them 
and that'll be on Peacock on the fifth. Some of the you know second or third tier streamers are getting some interesting content between they them on Peacock. Paramount Plus has a whole bunch of stuff that's in the works. The new Beavis and Butthead season is coming out on the fourth, which I don't I don't need to speak any more on that just because <laughs> you're in or you're out. I mean that's just kind of how Beavis and Butthead works. Coming up on Hulu, we've got Prey, the new Predator. Pre- it's a prequel, I believe. It's the first one that is set with them hunting on Earth. Yep. Was Predator 2? Because I remember the Predator 2, it had like Danny Glover on the... Predator 2, Streets of LA. But this is old-time Earth. Chronology-wise, this would be the earliest of any of the Predator movies. So it's a prequel. Mm-hmm. And takes place... Uh, I mean, the main characters are... Comanche. Comanche Indians. And there's a whole dubbed version of it that'll be in the Comanche language. The first full Comanche dub uh, ever for a movie is going to be happening for Prey, which has a cast full of uh, Native American and uh, First Nation uh, actors. I know, Jared, you're excited for it. It sounds like this is going to be sort of the uh, the beginnings of rebooting that whole franchise, maybe, mm-hmm. for a bunch of different smaller markets or i mean like smaller things you know it could be like web shows or tv other chunks of something i don't know it sounds like they're they're going to be pretty experimental with it there's a lot about this i already like i think it's fun to go this far back in the past with something like uh the predator and then i'm also happy too that the cast itself is going to be kind of small that that might have been because of covid but i mean with the exception of predator 2 because that was in la a lot of these movies have been kind of small with the cast, obviously going all the way back to the first one, which was just, you know, a select group of dudes stuck out in the, the jungle in, in Latin America and happened to reckon with this uh, predator. So I, I'm glad that they're keeping things kind of small and, and tight knit like this. Bruce, have you seen any of the predator movies? You mean the predator versus alien? Any of them. Oh yes. I've seen too many of them. <laughs> I mean, there's what there's predator. Predator 2, A versus P. The two verses, yeah. And then there is the Adrian Brody Predators. Yes. And then The Predator, which Shane Black directed? Wrote and directed. You mean there wasn't a Zack Snyder version that we have to bring back at some point? (laughs) Don't even joke about that. The last thing that I want (laughs) is for Zack Snyder to get mixed up in this. What if we got a a Michael Bay Predator movie, though? How would you feel about that? I would be interested to see a Michael Mann version of (laughs) Predator. (laughs) Lots of neon shots of, like, the Predator, like, destroying a club or something. Exactly. If you're keeping track at home, folks, we've now talked about three different movies with Boyd Holbrook in them because he was in the Predator movie from 2018. So today is, is Boyd's Day. Boy, oh, Boyd's Day. Also on Hulu and kind of to continue a, you know, the Native American connection, Reservation Dogs. Second season of that is coming back out. And you, when we started uh, recording this, Bruce, you, you were just hopping off uh, your interview with the... Uh... The Res Dogs. Yeah, they were there. It's an inter- interesting second season because the kids were all kind of geared toward going to California in the first season. The second season that has fallen apart. Only one is still wanting to go to California. Um, They had a friend who died. And the friend who died, that was his dream, is that he would go to California, they would come with, they'd have this whole big adventure 
And that was the, the, the thrust of the first season is let's get enough money to go to California. Well, it all fell apart at the end of the season. One is going, the other ones are trying to figure out where they fit with each other. And it's interesting how this picks up. And, and I think it shows how they're, they're going to be able to do this series for many years because it shows you different sides of the characters and it gives you a different um, perspective. They do seem more adult, much more adult than they were in the first season. And um, a lot of laughs. The, uh, the character that they just used a little bit um, in the past called Spirit, which was supposed to be kind of the godlike figure that they would go to, is in a lot of these episodes. And Spirit does get clearly the best lines. I love it, but then I'm I'm biased because I grew up on a reservation and I knew this lifestyle and I knew these people. And I think they really tap into it. They get what what's unique about it, but also what's universal about it. If you watch it, you might come to a better conclusion about what it's like out there. This doesn't veer too far from vengeance, actually, because it's going into a world that we don't know, and they're teaching us something about it. Taika Watiti is also a producer. Taika was really interested in seeing voices come through that we haven't heard. And he said, you know, what are we doing about other voices? And it was just at a film festival that he met Sterling and they started talking and he has the clout now that he can get things like this done. And that's basically what he says his, his participation is. Yeah, they talk about scripts and stuff, but it's Sterling's show and he's sitting there and, and, this year, he's added one of the actors is actually in the writer's room. So, you know, that's an interesting because it's a, a younger voice coming through. I'll tell you, there are two episodes I cried so hard at the end of them because they were comedies. You know, and you think, should I be crying at this? But it really tapped into um, what this is all about. The one boy decides he needs to be more of a man and gets a job working on a construction crew. And he's roofing you know he doesn't know anything about this he's making mistakes and they tell him to go on the other side and then the other side is the father of the dead friend and he was an estranged father and they start talking about the boy that isn't there and it's heartbreaking so even though it's billed as a comedy there's a lot of drama here and you will cry episode four even more tears some of the best emotional gut punches can come in stuff that's nominally billed as comedy or is even like overwhelmingly um, comedy. Cause I still think one of the best emotional gut punches, at least in any TV show from the past couple of years was the uh, season finale one year of it's always sunny in Philadelphia. There was an episode called Mac finds his pride. That show a lot of times is gross and disgusting and as offensive as possible, but it decided to get really emotional for like a season finale. And when comedies do that and they do it well, there are a few things that are as devastating as that. Reservation Dogs, season two on Hulu. Big thumbs up. We got a couple of uh, quick little things that we can do before we, we jump out of here. First one, Bruce, I know that you are a big Joe Coy fan. Joe, yes. Easter Sunday is coming out, which it's targeting you know the Filipino market, which you know Joe Coy obviously is. Do you know anything about Easter Sunday? Well, I, I just want to say that Joe um, has pitched a lot of movies and he's getting a lot of them made. And I think it's because he's tapping into an audience that has been underserved. He said that they're all basically based on his own life. There's some 
germ of truth in there. His son um, is a real big inspiration for him because his son has, he wants like nothing to do with what dad does, but he finds that whenever he kind of can find a trigger that gets his son to react, there might be something there that other people would react to as well. But um, Joe is such a fun guy. Oh, if you don't know Joe Coy, get into him. Watch him. He's fun. That's coming out in theaters. Looks like a lot of fun. It's directed by Jay Chandrasekhar, one of the uh, one of the Broken Lizard guys. Again, another one of those movies, we've talked about this a couple times this year, that has like a lot of really good indie comics like sprinkled throughout the cast, including uh, Eugene Cordero is in this, and he, he is incredibly funny anytime he pops up. He's a UCB improv guy. Of course, Tiffany Haddish is in this. That's not really indie, but um, there's another one. And then uh, Brandon Wardell uh, is also in this. And anyone that's been on Twitter for even a little bit knows who Brandon Wardell is and like the uh, different uh, internet comedy phenomenons he's been responsible for. So it's always a joy to see movies like this come out and have stacked comedic casts. And then I guess, yeah, we can we can wrap up and go one last thing. I don't know. I was going to say I Love My Dad is coming out. It's in limited release. I know it's going to be here in Madison this weekend. I don't think it's going to be where you guys are, but it is the the new Pat Oswalt film. He plays a father who is estranged from his son and the son, the way that the father connects to the son is basically by catfishing him. <laughs> it just sounds absolutely ridiculous and really over the top, but also maybe has like a lot of heart to it. It makes me think of world's greatest dad. Now you're speaking my language. Yeah, it it has a lot of like that that Bobcat Goldthwait World's Greatest Dad vibe to it. But it's uh it's written and directed by James Morrissini, who also plays the son. So I'm I'm thinking that there's <laughs> some kind of an autobiographical thing uh happening here. You notice how this is kind of one of those meh weeks where a lot of stuff is kind of sleek is slinking in and you're not really sure what it's gonna be, and then you think we could get something that's a big pop, but we're not sure what that pop is. And I think that's where we are. I mean, Bullet Train, that seems like it should be a no-brainer. Yeah. But that could be like the the Lost City, where it just kind of lays there. And then you've got these other ones where you're going, hmm, wonder which one of those might be the one. It's definitely a week for for something to to overperform or to like do okay this week and then do well next week because I don't think anything big's coming down the the pike next week either really so next week is bodies 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 a league of their own on Amazon that is really different we'll talk next week we will I've seen all of it yep but that's not like stop stop the presses we all gotta watch it is it is. The League of Their Own that you're thinking of is not the League of Their Own that they're presenting. Okay, good. But I think you're totally right, Bruce. This is feels like a slow week, but it's also really dense with stuff that has a lot of potential. Like they, them could be great. I don't think Bullet Train is going to be great, but Bullet Train could do some gangbusters numbers. Low ceiling, high floor. There we go. Prey. I mean, like there's a whole bunch of genre type things that could really make an impact i think carter you know might end up i mean how many weeks did it take how many weeks did it take for squid game to become the the basis of an snl sketch and you know was it like a month since it released i mean carter could be along those lines sandman could really pop it's a very fertile weekend 
This is the weekend where you think you're going out with friends and you're not going to the movies, but you might maybe want to rethink that. I mean, you just got to stay in and, uh, you know, binge Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> so anyway, Jared, you can take us out. Send us on our way. There's nothing big and bold uh, coming out this week in particular, so I'm not going to be big and bold with my pronouncements of our uh, our catchphrase. I'll meet the week that we're in, and I will say, head to the theaters and screen something good or uh, stick around at home, especially on a, this kind of week where, at least where we are in uh, Sioux City, it's punishingly hot. Stay inside and uh, stream something good from the comfort of your own home. Stream something good, screen something good. We are here every week. We will be back next week with more fun stuff. Until then, you can find everything that we talked about in the show notes, links to movies where you can watch them. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter and all the other fun places. Also have links to where you can find Jared's podcast on Iowa politics and articles that Bruce has written that might even dig up the old... Uh, interview that you did with joe coy let's get joe coy yeah thank you guys so much for listening and uh we'll see you next week i want air conditioning is that too much to ask